Today for the sermon, I would like to uh, discuss some things that I hope will be relevant to you. You know, God has given us the Sabbath so that we can rest, just take a break from our weekly duties, where we can reflect and kind of think about where are we going, why are we here, what's the purpose of human life. And also in the Sabbath, we can take some time to refocus. You know, where are we going? How are we going to get there? The Sabbath is a time to focus on God, to focus on his plan, and how that plan relates to us. To help you focus today, I'd like to ask you several questions. You know, I don't want to do all the work. I want you to get your mind in gear. I want you to think along with what we're going to talk about. The benefit of the sermon, I hope, will be how you answer the questions. My answer may not be that important. It's how you answer the questions that I want to ask and talk about today. First question is, what are you doing with your life? Notice I did not say, what are you doing with your wife? (laughs) What are you doing with your life? As a young person, you know, are you growing up and spending your afternoon evenings as a mall rat? You're running around at the mall with all your friends in and out of the shops. You know, I've watched this happen. Guys walk down one side of the mall, the girls walk up the other side, and they're looking at each other. And especially the guys going to the stores and turn things upside down and do various things just to you know, see what they can get away with. You know, as a young person, is this how you're living your life? You spend your life, your afternoons and evenings, just jabbering away on a cell phone, sharing gossip, doing this, doing that. Is this how you're living your life? Maybe it's reading the latest novel, seeing the latest movie, sharing the latest gossip. Or do you have a higher purpose for your life as a young person? As a middle-aged person, are you living your life on a treadmill? Got to go to work. Got to make money. Got to pay the bills. Got to blow it this weekend and then stagger back to work on Monday. Got to work, make money, pay the bills. Is this how you're living your life as a middle-aged person? Just running as fast as you can on this rat race? Or do you have a higher purpose? Do you have a sense of mission in your life? As an older person, maybe you're retired. Do you take some time to look back and ask yourself, what have I accomplished with my life? What have I done with my life? What could I do with the years that remain? Where I'll have an impact on people, my children, people around me. What are you doing with your life? Second question to think about, and we'll spend a little bit of time then on each of these questions. What kind of God do you worship? What kind of God do you worship? Is the God that you worship someone that you talk to for five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, you take off the shelf for a couple of hours on the Sabbath, and then you put him back on the shelf and it's, it's back to the rat race, or it's back to the mall? What kind of God do you worship, depending on where you're coming from? 
Do you worship a God that hangs out in big, musty, stained-glass cathedrals that has to be conjured up with incense and Gregorian chants? Is this the God that you worship? Or do you worship a God that snaps his fingers, waves his arms to religious rock music at contemporary worship services? Many people do that today. What kind of God do you worship? A sad, plaintive figure that sits in heaven in a rocking chair, kind of sad because he's invited everybody to heaven and nobody seems to want to go. Is this the God that you worship? Or do you worship a very different God? Do you worship a God that listens to millions of prayers where people are asking God, what's your will for my life? His circuits get overloaded and he, he never gets back with an answer. So nobody knows what, their perp- what God's purpose is for their life. What kind of God do you worship? The last two questions are pretty easy. The third question is how do these two questions... How are you living your life? What are you doing with your life? And what kind of God do you worship? How do these two questions relate to each other? Do they relate to each other? And the fourth question is, why is it important to talk about these things today on the Sabbath at this time in the history of our nation and at this time in the history of the world? What I want to talk about today in the sermon is God and his plan and how God and his plan relate to you. How God and his plan relate to you. And I've entitled the sermon, God's Plan and You. And I want to talk about how God's plan relates to you. How do you relate to God's plan as a young person, as a person in middle age, as an older person? How does God's plan relate to you, and how do you relate to God's plan? Let's start with the last question first so that we can give this whole discussion some relevance this afternoon. Why are we talking about these things today on the Sabbath, July 22, 2006? Why are we talking about these things today? Notice a couple of scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, difficult times, stressful times, troublesome times. Are we living in the last days? What's your answer to the question? Are we living at a period of time when ancient Bible prophecies are coming true? Are the things that we read about in the headlines every day fulfilling prophecies that were inspired several thousand years ago? Are we living at a point in time where we're seeing ancient prophecies being fulfilled? Paul wrote in the first century, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, difficult times, troublesome times. There's an article in the Charlotte Observer a week or two ago. It says, President Bush faces a world of troubles. 
Pretend for a moment that you're on in the president's cabin on Air Force One as he tours Europe and heads for the G8 summit conference in St. Petersburg, Russia. Got to open this thing up so I can read over the fold of the paper. What does the world look like to you? If you were President Bush sitting in a plane heading to Russia, what do you see in your mind's eye? What do you see in a newspaper? What does the world look like to you? The answer in one world is trouble. The answer in one world, one word, is trouble. Talks about trouble in Geneva, trouble in Iran, trouble in Iraq, trouble in the Middle East, trouble in Russia, trouble in Mexico. These are things that are on the president's plate today. I remember reading an article recently. It said the world is a more troubled place today than it has been for the last 50 years. This is the world we live in today. And yet Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, but know this, in the last days, perilous times, difficult times will come. And some may think, well, you know, it's not that bad. If we turn back to Matthew 24, Matthew 24, and notice several verses there. Jesus was asked by his disciples uh, some very pointed questions. He did not duck the questions. He answered the question and gave specific answers. Verse 3, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. You know, it's interesting whenever somebody buttonholes you. <laughs> In the hallway, you know, I've always been looking forward to meeting you, but I have got, I've got a couple questions, you know, about the article you wrote or the booklet that you wrote or whatever. You know, I want to ask you these things directly. Uh, it was interesting, you know, talking with Mr. Adrian Hilton in England several times. Here's a person that was running for parliament over there and has connections with a number of uh, high-ranking people in the country. And it was interesting just to sit and talk with him for an hour at a time several different, on several different occasions. What do you think about Europe? What do you think about Germany? What do you think about these things? You know, we interviewed him while he was here, and we're going to have some of these things in the behind-the-work film at the feast. Because it seemed like he unloaded a bit more to the specific questions that we asked him in the interview than he did whenever he spoke to everybody in the conference. He was, had a little bit different approach in the conference. But here were Christ's disciples asking Jesus Christ, what is going to be the sign of your coming? How are we going to know? How will we recognize when we're getting close? You're coming in the end of the age. He said, take heed that no one deceives you. He said, many will come in my name and deceive many. And we've talked about this for years. You look around the world. How many Protestant denominations are there? Six, seven hundred different denominations. How many churches of God are there since the worldwide church of God came apart in 1995? Over 300 different ones. And there are people running around today. It doesn't matter where you go. We're all the same. You know, if you believe that, you're naive. We're not all the same. If we were the same, we'd be together. We're not together because we're on different pages. And different people said there's a different spirit over here. There's a different spirit over there. 
And we need to understand these things. We don't want to be deceived. And yet Christ said, many will come in my name, and many will be deceived. You know, after spending four years in the United Kingdom over there, uh, it's in the paper periodically, the Church of England is going down the tube. Some suspect it will be extinct in 20 years. Where will people go if that church becomes extinct? There's an Anglo-Catholic wing of the Anglican Church that wants to move back towards Rome and become part of the Catholic Church again. The Catholic Church is the source of many of the pagan doctrines that have infiltrated the Protestant churches today. And people that move in that direction, even though they're going to be told Christ is leading us. The Spirit is moving us. They're correct. The Spirit is moving them. Wrong spirit. Wrong direction. And they'll find that out eventually. But Jesus said, many will come in my name and deceive many. Then he said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. What happened this past week? Israel invaded Lebanon. And they're worried this is going to spill over into a regional conflict, possibly the beginning of another world war. You think, oh, that's exaggerating things. Let me read you quickly an article out of the New York Daily News, July 9th, 2006. World War III has begun. Whether it began, and I'm paraphrasing here with the... uh, Uh, Breaking down of the Berlin Wall, possibly the bombing of the uh, World Trade Center in 1993, possibly the planes crashing into the the towers there in New York. He said, when you look at this thing, the planes crashing in New York into the Pentagon, the bombings in London, the bombings in Madrid, the bombings in Bali, the fighting in the Middle East, the fighting in Africa, He says, the war on terror is a world war. He said, World War III has already begun. That's not the only place. There was another article from an Arab newspaper, and this was with an interview by someone in the government in Iran. It said, Iran's secret plan, if attacked by the U.S., is codenamed Judgment Day. If America attacks us, it will become a judgment day. And he talks about there are several steps to their plan. Number one, a missile strike directly targeting U.S. bases in the Persian Gulf and in Iraq as soon as their nuclear installations may be hit in Iran. Number two, step two, suicide operations in a number of Arab and Muslim countries against U.S. embassies and missions in U.S. military bases and economic and oil installations related to the American British companies. Step number three, launch attacks uh, by uh, the Revolutionary Guards and Iraqi fighters loyal to Iran against American forces in Iraq from border regions coming in from the outside. Step number four, Hezbollah Hezbollah to launch hundreds of rockets against military and economic targets in Israel. That's happening. Somebody jumped the gun on that. The last stage, it says, is what is the last stage of the plan? Here the Iranian source hesitated before saying with worry, 
this stage, the last stage of our plan, might represent the beginning of a world war. This is the world we are living in today. You've got a president of Iraq, or excuse me, Iran, that says Israel doesn't deserve to be to exist. It should be wiped off the map. And he feels that if we get something chaos going, then the Muslim Messiah may return. So he's not worried about pushing buttons and sending missiles and creating problems. He said this will just hasten the return of the Muslim Messiah. This is the world we live in. They don't fear war. You know, a number of years ago when Russia was building atomic bombs and America was, we were building up our arsenals, but no one, nobody wanted to pull the trigger. They knew what would happen. We're living in an age when some people don't care about pulling triggers because they think they'll hasten the return of a Muslim messiah. We're living in very sobering times. But this is what Jesus said. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Be not troubled. In other words, don't lose it. He said it's going to get worse. We need to understand these things. So the nation will rise against nation. Again, the word here is ethnos. One ethnic group against another. This is what's happening in various places around the world. You know, in Iraq, it's the Shiite Muslims against the Sunni Muslims. Same religion, and they're killing each other. In many cases, the same ethnic backgrounds, same peoples, but they're fighting each other over religion. This will be one ethnic group against another, one nation against another. He talks about famines, earthquakes, disease epidemics. These things are happening today. This is the world in which we live. It fits with the scriptures. Your answer to the question is important. Are we living at the end of the age? Is this the time? Are we off base? Or do we understand what's happening? Leviticus 23, verse 19, you don't need to turn there, but it talks about the time is going to come when God is going to break the pride of our power. Now, America is recognized as the most powerful nation in the entire world. And yet our power is being eroded. Another interesting article from the paper this morning talks about the reality behind President Bush's frustration. He apparently made a comment at the summit meeting in Russia. He says, you know, what they, the United Nations officials, need to do, Bush told Mr. Blair, was to get Syria to get the Hezbollah to stop doing this stuff. Uh, and then it'll be all be over. I felt like telling Kofi Annan to get on the phone with Syria and tell him to quit doing this stuff. Now, here's the president of the most powerful nation of the world trying to get the person that's at the head of the U.N. who can't really do much <laughs> to stop everything. You know, when things broke out in the Middle East uh, in prior wars, the president dispatched Henry Kissinger and somebody else, and they were shuttling all over the Middle East. It was America that was stopping things. And now Mr. Boyce said, well, I, I felt like calling Mr. Annan at the U.N., and everybody knows the U.N. is not going to stop anything. But the writer says here, the crucial Mideast mediating role once played by the United States has atrophied. Has atrophied. We're not acting from a position of power anymore. That's disappeared. God said, I'm going to break the pride of your power. This is happening around the world. 
In Jeremiah chapter 6, notice a rather interesting prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 6, if we begin with verse 1 and just kind of bounce down through the chapter. It's a prophecy about Israel's future. This is focusing primarily on Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. But notice the thrust of this, verse, chapter 6, verse 1. O oh, you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set a signal fire in Beth Hasram. For disaster appears out of the north. There's going to be trouble coming out of the north. Down in verse 14, it says people are going to be saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Everybody wants peace today, but it's not happening. Down in verse 24, it says, we have heard the report, our hands grow feeble, anguish has taken hold of us, pain as of a woman in labor, do not go out into the field nor walk by the way because the sword of the enemy, because of the sword of the enemy, fear is on every side, O daughter of my people. Clothe yourself with sackcloth and roll in the ashes. Repent. Change the course of action that you're on. Change your life. You begin to obey God. Make mourning as for the only son, most bitter, most bitter lamentation for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. The prophecy is our downfall is going to come suddenly. We published a news item last week about America will soon go broke. And it talks about how much money we have loaned and how bad our trade deficit is. I believe the Chinese hold about 50% of our foreign debt. In other words, we owe them billions of dollars. If they call that loan, if they shift their money out of U.S. Treasury bills into euros, the bottom will fall out of our economy. And this could happen suddenly. When you look at how World War I started, World War II started, these things started suddenly. We're living in a period of time in which we're in a very delicate situation. But God says the plunder will suddenly come upon us. Turn to chapter 15. Same thing is mentioned. Chapter 15. It's talking about the, the punishments that God is going to bring on Israel. Verse 3, it says, I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord. The sword to slay, uh, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will hand them over, that is Israel, I will hand them over to trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth. And down in verse 8, uh, towards the end of that verse, I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. Anguish and terror will come suddenly. This is what is prophesied to happen to our nations in the future. It's going to come suddenly. It could be an economic collapse. It could be missiles. It could be a number of different things. Again, this is not to scare anybody. The idea here is let's realize the times in which we're living. These are not normal times. Things are not going to go on forever and ever and ever. Things are just not going to go smoothly. 
for the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Things are going to happen in a very dramatic way. Matthew 25. What, is this all, what does all of this mean to us? Matthew 25. <clears throat> the parable here of the ten virgins. You need to think about these things on the Sabbath. How does this relate to you? How does this relate to me? talks about ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. It says they all kind of went to sleep. Then a call came at midnight. People woke up. Some had oil for their lamps. Some had been nourishing God's spirit. Some were filled with God's spirit. And they were ready to go into the wedding when the time came. Five were foolish. They were not nourishing God's spirit. They were not being led by God's spirit. They were doing their own thing. And they missed out on the wedding supper and the door was shut. They missed their opportunity. They weren't ready. In verse 13, it says, Watch, therefore, because you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We don't know the exact time. But as Christ mentioned in Matthew 24, talking about the parable of the fig tree, when you see this, and you see this, and you see this, and you see this. He said, you know, spring is coming. And you know, Christ's return is near. So we need to think about from time to time, where are we in terms of God's timetable? Are the things that are happening that we're reading about daily in the news, are they really fulfilling the prophecies that have been in the Bible for thousands of years? My question to you then, based on Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins, are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Are you prepared for what is coming up ahead? What do we need to be doing to prepare? And it's appropriate on the Sabbath to think about these things, how you can prepare, what you can do. And this then gets back to the questions that I asked in the very beginning. What... <clears throat> What sort of God do you worship? What sort of God do you worship? Is it a God that hangs out in cathedrals? Is it a God that snaps his fingers to religious rock? Is it a God sitting up there in heaven rocking back and forth? Well, I called them and they don't want to come. What am I going to do you know, if they just give their heart to me? What kind of God do you worship? Is it a God that is urging everybody to pray for our troops in Iran? I saw an email recently from someone that uh, I'd grown up with. Do we worship a God that is desperately trying to save the world? You know the answers to these things. But thousands and millions of people don't know the answers to these things. Do we value what God has opened our mind to understand? Let's look at just a little bit about the God of the Bible, the God that we worship, that we should be worshiping. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul explains a little bit to the church in Ephesus about the God that they have been introduced to. They were coming from pagan backgrounds. They were living in an era whenever the Senate had 
uh, voted to make the emperor divine. So they were told the emperor is divine. He's God. He lights some candles, burns some incense to him, bow down to him. But he was voted divine. <laughs> he was voted divine. That's not how you make gods. That's how human beings make gods. But Paul is explaining a little bit about the God of the universe. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And notice here where he begins to explain about God, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. One of the hymns that we sang today was about being chosen. God chooses people. He's chosen a race of people to work with. They blew it. Now he's choosing people to be part of his spiritual body, to be the first fruits in the coming kingdom of God. He's reached into your heart and into your mind and opened your mind so that you can understand the truth of God. Has that made a difference in your life? Has it made a difference in how you're going to live your life? It better. Or we're wasting an incredible opportunity. He chose us in him from the foundation of the world. God had a plan from the very beginning. And he's working through the stages of that plan. And it appears we are reaching a very critical point in that plan. When Christ returns, sets up his government on this earth, binds Satan, begins the kingdom of God. This is the turning point in history that we are approaching. Don't bother me with that. I'm on my cell phone. You know, I got to go see a movie. You know, where are we, brethren? Are we focused in the right direction? He chose us in Him from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. This is why we've been called to be special in God's sight for a special purpose. Without blame, we can't do the stuff that everybody else does. There are reasons why we can't do the stuff that everybody else does if we want to be in the kingdom of God. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ. And again, what we've taught is that God has not predestined you and me specifically, but he's predestined to have a group of people that would become the first fruits to be used to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. This is the plan that God has. He has a plan. You know, he's not up there in heaven. Well, you know, I got these people down there. Now, what am I going to do with them? <laughs> They're making a mess of things. Now, what do we do? Jesus, it's all your fault. No, he's not doing those things. He knows what he's doing. He's working out a plan and a purpose that we have the opportunity to be part of. Skipping down here to verse 9, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Paul uses this term, a mystery, because it's a mystery to the world. The world does not understand the plan and purpose of God. You know, many Protestants feel that they're going to go to heaven, sit on a cloud, play a harp, do that kind of stuff, walk around on streets of gold and just, I guess, enjoy heaven. But that's not the plan that's in the Bible. But there are many sincere people that believe that. And there are many sincere people in other religions. 
You know, these young Muslims believe that they blow themselves up. They'll wake up the next moment surrounded by 70 virgins. Oh, look at all the pretty girls. You know, I had a similar experience to that when I was on a swimming team in college. Uh, I was practicing one day, and I was actually a diver. Hit the bottom of the pool, cracked the vertebrae, sent me off to the hospital, and I woke up the next morning surrounded by about half a dozen young nurses. (laughs) It was like, wow, I died and went to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And they put me in this big ward with about 25 people, all basically older people, and they were drunks, had broken legs and so on. So the nurses come in, here's this one college kid that's in there. So they were all around and wanted to help me do this and do that. I can understand why some guys want to blow themselves up. (laughs) It's better than living in some of those countries in the Middle East over there, really. But this is how some people, they're doing this with their lives. You know, I can ask them, what are you doing with your life? I'm going to blow myself up. You know, so we accomplish some mission and I can go off and be in heaven. These people are deceived, as are many people in this country who believe various things. But God has made known to us the mystery of his will. We understand the plan of God. We understand what he's doing. Again, has this made a difference in how you live your life? Will it make a difference as you come to understand that plan more fully? According to his good pleasure, God has called you and he's called me for some reason. According to his will, he's not calling the whole world right now. But he's called you and he's called me to come out of this world, to be different. Put the cell phone in your pocket. Do something else with the hours that you spend on that. Do something else with the hours that you spend on other things. Refocus your life. When I learned the truth of God, I was planning on becoming a medical doctor. And I found out when I came into the church, uh, we had all kinds of names for medical doctors. (laughs) You know, this this is uh, witchcraft and all things like that. But I began thinking about these things, and and I shifted gears. Instead of striving to become a medical doctor, and again, I could have done it, but uh, it wasn't understood at that time. I could have done it, but I'm I'm not upset looking back. Because I shifted from becoming a medical doctor to becoming another kind of doctor, a teacher, an educator. Because I sensed at that time, this has more use. It's going to be more useful down the road in the coming kingdom of God. Because I read Isaiah chapter 30, where it talks about we're going to be teachers. And we're going to say, this is the way. Walk you in it. As opposed to let me cut out your liver (laughs) or something like that. But I shifted gears. And many of us have had to shift gears. I was up in Baltimore last week, and I met a couple of fellows. I said, what do you do? Well, I was a farmer, a hog farmer. (laughs) And I had to sell those things when I realized that uh, this was not something God wanted me to do. So they've they've had to shift gears. They had to change direction. Many of us have had to do the same thing. But this is what happens whenever we begin to understand the plan of God. And we want to get our lives in harmony with the plan of God. God has a plan. That's the point I want to emphasize here. In his good pleasure, he is purposed in himself. He has a plan. He has a purpose. 
Turn over to chapter 3 and verse 11. It talks about there, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ. God had a plan for Jesus Christ coming to this earth. Jesus said as he discussed his impending crucifixion and death with his disciples back in the book of John, he said, for this purpose I came. Think how you would respond if you were in his position. For this purpose, I came to this earth to give my life. Satan worked on Jesus Christ that evening when he was praying. And he said, God, if there's any, is there any other way we can do this? Because he was coming up to the crunch time. He realized tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, it's all over for me in this life. On this mission, God, is is there any other way we can do this? And how did he conclude his prayer? Not my will, but yours. We'll do it the way we planned. We'll fulfill the mission. We'll finish the job the way we had planned to finish it. That's the kind of God that we worship, a God that has a plan. Jesus Christ followed that plan. It says here, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. And you think about the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Tevye was singing this song. Would it harm some great eternal plan if I were a rich man (laughs) instead of a poor man? You know, the Jews understand God has a plan and a purpose. You know, Churchill stood before the American Congress, and he says it's got to be indeed a blind soul that cannot see that there's a great purpose being worked out on this earth of which the American and British people have the privilege of participating in. Now, you and I have been called to become part of a church that God is going to use to complete his plan. Because we have been called to become spiritual Israelites, inheritors of the promise. This is made to Abraham. Doesn't matter where we're coming from. Doesn't matter what our background is. We have been called for a very special purpose. Do we grasp that? That God has a special place in his plan for you and for me. Don't throw that away. Don't take it lightly. Don't treat it lightly. God has a plan and he has a purpose. Just notice a couple of other aspects because we tend to think, well, the the holy days picture the plan. They do. But there's more to God's plan than just the spiritual plan of salvation. Turn back to Proverbs chapter uh, 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Let's just expand our perspectives here for just a minute or two. Proverbs chapter 3. Beginning in verse 19. <clears throat> it says, by, for by, <clears throat> The Lord by wisdom founded the earth, and by understanding established the heavens, and by his knowledge the depths were broken up, and the clouds dropped down the dew. So what it's saying is that God planned the earth. 
by wisdom, by knowledge. He created the earth by design. You know, the earth spins through space on an axis that creates the seasons. It's at the proper distance from the sun so that life is sustained on this earth. There's just enough oxygen so that we can survive. We can't go to other planets, walk around. It's not suitable to life. You go back and read through the booklet we put together on the real God and talks about how God has designed things. Many scientists today are coming to the conclusion the universe was created for human beings. This is becoming apparent to people that study the universe. It was created specifically to support human life and specifically on this earth. God has an incredible eternal plan. When you get up 30,000, 40,000 feet in an airplane, you look down and you see these, you just barely see the cars moving along the freeways. You can't see human beings at that level. And yet God knows we're here. You know, we pray to God, God, please intervene in my life. Answer my prayers, do certain things for me. And we're shocked when things actually happen. He's there. (laughs) He heard. This is the God that we worship. There's a little earth spinning through the universe, and yet he's aware of us. This is the God that we worship. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Back to Genesis chapter 1. And I realize that you know these scriptures, but it doesn't hurt from time to time on the Sabbath to go back over these things, just recharge our batteries and refocus on some of these fundamentals. Talking about the creation of human beings. Chapter 1, Genesis, verse 26, then God said, let us. Who's he talking to? (laughs) The one who became Jesus Christ, the other member of the God family. Let us make man, human beings, in our image. You look in the mirror. You don't look like a turtle. You You don't look like a whale. You know, God made us in his image. We're different from the animals on this earth, the creatures on this earth. Let us make man, human beings, in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Let them rule. Let them learn to manage the earth. Why? Because we've been created to become kings and priests, to rule with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God as members of God's family. Are you preparing for that? Is that part of your perspective as you look at life? And God created them in his own image. In the image of God created them male and female. Why? So they could marry. Marriage actually is between a man and a woman. Not between two men. Not between two women. See, we've lost the focus today. But we're liberated today. We've grown. We've matured. We don't need this mythological stuff anymore. And we've lost, we've jumped the track, basically. Created a male and female for a purpose, so that they could reproduce members of the God family. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion, rule. 
manage the creatures of the earth. You connect this with Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10, where it says we were, to be, we were to become kings and priests, civil leaders, religious leaders, reigning with Jesus Christ on this earth, not in heaven, but on this earth. God has a plan. He has a purpose that he's working out on this earth. Notice Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> And the Bible defines pretty clearly why we're here, what God is doing, the plan and purpose that he's working out. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. We're going to become sons and daughters if we're led by God's Spirit. If we're asking questions, how would God do this? How would God approach this situation? What guidelines do I find in the Bible to help me make this decision? See, if we're led by the Spirit of God, then we will become the sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. So you've been adopted. You've been brought into the family by whom we cry out, we can actually cry out to God, Father. You know, when your little kids get in trouble, what do they say? Mommy! Daddy! (laughs) And when we get in trouble, we can say, Father, please, I, I need your help. I need your guidance. And these are things we can teach our children. But they, too, can pray to God. I think I've used the example here. We were painting the fence once with my kids when they were little. And one of the boys lost something, fell down the grass and started running into the house. I said, come back here and help find it. He said, I'm going into the house. I said, why? He said, to pray. (laughs) And to ask God to help me find this thing. So he went into the house and prayed, came back out and found it. You know, these things work. But this is what God is talking about. You can cry to me, to to, to, to me as your father. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit or itself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you repent, you change, you receive God's Spirit, you're on the track. You're moving towards that opportunity. And if children, think on this, if you're children of God, then you are heirs, heirs of God. Heirs to become part of the God family, to rule with Jesus Christ. You know, your purpose is not to become another lovesick amoeba in some regeneration. You know, you're not going to have to worry about coming up in your next life as an ant or a caterpillar or something like that in reincarnation. No, our purpose is to become part of God's family to become spirit beings and function as he does. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we've got to get through the hoops first, that he may, we may also be glorified together. To be glorified together with Jesus Christ. You can read about his glorified appearance in the book of Revelation, how his body literally radiated energy, glowed. And these things on Star Wars and some of these movies are are really cheap substitutes 
for what's actually going to happen. This is part of the plan and the purpose that God is working out on this earth. Let's look at one other scripture, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. This is the plan. This is what God is working out. In verse 1 it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is a very special privilege. Therefore, the world does not know us. The world doesn't understand what you understand and what I have been given to understand because it did not know him. The world thinks Jesus had long hair. The world thinks Jesus kept Sunday. The world thinks Jesus was born on Christmas. All wrong. Didn't happen that way. The Bible reveals. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Spirit beings to reign on this earth for a thousand years. For we shall see him like he is or as he is. This is our future. This is the plan. This is the purpose. The holy days picture God's plan of salvation. We're not going to go through that right now, but God has various steps that we go through. What we also need to realize, brethren, is that Satan has a plan too. Satan also has a plan. And God is allowing Satan to pursue his plans. 2 Corinthians 4.4, we read that Satan is the god of this world. He is the one behind the music that many of us listen to. You you pull up at the stop sign sometimes and the, the car next to you is vibrating. And the person is sitting in there kind of (laughs) heads bobbing around. This is not of God. Many of the films today are not of God. Much of the entertainment is not of God. Most people's priorities today are not of God. This is why God calls us out of this world. If we want to prepare for the coming kingdom of God, we've got to come out consciously of this world. I don't do that. I don't think those things. I don't go those places. What's the matter with you? Goody two-shoes? Too good for us? No, I just don't do those things. Not interested in doing those things. These are things we need to think about. Satan has a plan. He's the God of this world. Revelation 12.9 says he has deceived the whole world, including the Pope, including the heads of other religions, including the, the leaders of other churches. I mean, this is the plan. Satan has a plan. It's just to deceive. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion walking around seeking who he may devour. He's looking for people that have got troubles, well, you know, I, I don't get along with the minister. And that's like a little light going off on our head up here. Satan walks around, hey, there's one. Try this one. Did you know this about that guy? Did you know this? You know what he really does at home? Or if somebody comes up, he says, yeah, I've got a problem with uh, so-and-so. 
I've got a problem with him too. And it's... And Satan will be right there in the middle. Go, go, go. Yay! And a lot of times we get sucked into these things unknowingly. And Satan can play with us, manipulate us. You know, the guy at work or that girl that works really cute. I know she's not in the church, but, you know, God understands there's not much of a choice anymore. You know, so I've got to do this. Not wise. Not wise. The principles are still principles. What's right is still right. What's wrong is still wrong. Regardless of the situation, Satan has a plan and purpose, and we need to understand these things. Because he is like a roaring lion. He wants to destroy. He wants to bump you off course. He doesn't want you to get the reward that God wants to give you. And his whole rationale, you know, God is a God of love, and he wouldn't want us to lose our job because of the Sabbath. Sabbath doesn't change. God will work things out if we hold to what we know is right. And we do what's right and we act wisely. What kind of God do you worship? Does the God you worship have a plan? Does he have a purpose? Are you plugged into that plan? Third question, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Are you a mall rat? Do you kind of wish you were? You know, I can't do that, but boy, it would be fun. You know, do it. It's not that much fun. You get bored after a while. And then you start looking for other things to do that are more exciting. And that's where you get in trouble. Do you spend all afternoon, all evening on your cell phone? Could you use that time better? Are you involved with a rat race where it's just, I go to work, I come home, I go to work, I come home, I blow it out on the weekends, and I go back to work on Monday, if I'm sober on Monday. <laughs> Might be Tuesday till I get there. What are you doing with your life as an older person? Sitting in a rocking chair watching the world go by? Well, I've got a couple more years. He's going to hang in there. Or do you have plans for your life, for the years that you have left? <clears throat> you need to think about these things. Do you have a plan and a purpose for your life? So, well, is that really that important? I come to services. You know, I pray every morning and I do my Bible study. Proverbs chapter 4. Chapter 4. Let's just look at a couple of principles here. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Solomon wrote these things thousands of years ago. Solomon was passing on information to those who had ears to hear. This is for young people. It's for older people, middle-aged people. It says, ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you're going. Think about how you want to get there. Are you going where you need to be going? You know, will God be at the end of the trail, or are you going down another trail that doesn't lead to God? Ponder the path of your feet. Where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years? Where do you want to be in 20 years? What will it take to get there? Well, I'd like to be married and have some children. 
What's it going to take to get there? What should you do before that happens? Well, I'd like to have a job and travel the world. How much is it going to cost? What kind of job are you going to need? Flipping hamburgers at McDonald's won't do it. Yeah, but I could play the lottery. Not wise. You probably lose more than you gain. That's why they have lotteries. <laughs> Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. In other words, if you think about it, your ways will be established. If you don't think about it, they won't be established. Turn not to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Don't get sidetracked. You plot a course of action. Don't get sidetracked. Oh, but this looks interesting over there. Just look at this for a minute. Well, I want to go there. But as you're going there, oh, that looks interesting. Well, that looks interesting too. You won't wind up over there. You'll wind up over here or over there. You have to say no from time to time. Yeah, it's interesting. Can't do it. Driving up the Shenandoah Valley last week, I saw these exciting signs. Boy, I'd like to go over there. There's a battle fought over there. Something else over there, a school I'd like to see. But I said, I told the Clores, I'll be at your house at 8.30. I got there at 8.30. <laughs> but by saying no to several other things I wanted to do. Now, that's just a silly aside. But if you want to accomplish certain things, you've got to prepare for those things and then work towards it and decide to do those things that will lead you in the right direction and say no to those things that will pull you off in a different direction. But here's a principle. Ponder the path of your feet. Get focused. Get focused early. And then work towards that goal. <clears throat> what should our goals be? Matthew 6, verse 33. A very broad principle. And this is for you to think about how can the decisions that you make in your life move you in the direction that Jesus Christ said we should go in terms of our major priority in our life. Matthew 6 and verse 33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Will the career that you're thinking about move you towards the kingdom of God? Will it prepare you to serve in the kingdom of God? Think about those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, if I'm thinking about marriage, if I do it God's way, how should I do it? If I'm planning a career, what should I plan? Maybe I'm an older person. How can I use my time to prepare for the kingdom of God as opposed to just watching the world go by? Think about these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. What do we have to do to seek the kingdom of God? We're going to need God's spirit. How do you get God's spirit? You repent. You're baptized. You make a commitment to live your life a certain way. Hands are laid on you to ask that God's spirit be given to you. And then you've got a challenge. The ball's in your court. You've got to nourish God's spirit. Be led by God's spirit. Bear the fruits of God's spirit in your life. This is how we prepare for the kingdom of God. We've got to develop the mind of God. 
and be thinking, how would God do this? How would God use this time? How does God want me to use my time? How can I prepare for the coming kingdom of God? What am I going to be doing in the kingdom of God? What's God going to do in the kingdom of God? He's going to rebuild cities, restructure educational systems, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the mothers to the children, and vice versa. And so if we're thinking, well, yeah, I want to get married, but I've got to keep my job and I've got to do all these other things. Why? Well, because we want a new car. <laughs> we want to travel the world. We want to do all these things. Yeah, I had a discussion one time with uh, one of the ministers out in Pasadena in the locker room. I'd only been to college, I think, a year or two. And gotten married. We had a little boy, Scott. And uh, this gentleman asked me if we'd finished a game of tennis. And he said, uh, uh, how's it how's it feel to be a father? Of course, I was all full of zeal. I said, well, you know, I can't wait till uh, my little baby gets older and I can give more time to the work. He just kind of verbally picked me up and pinned me against the locker. He said, when that boy gets older, you're going to need to spend more time with him. I thought, you're not even converted. Wrong thoughts on my part. Because I was also on the admissions committee and read the applications of his kids coming through college. They made an impact on the college, student body president and some other things. But whenever I read what they said about their dad, it was obvious that he spent a lot of time with the boys and the girls that he had. You know, these are things we need to do as parents. It's not just, well, now I've got a child, and now I've got a family, and now I'll move on with these things. No, they're a big investment. I remember talking to Mr. Herman one day. He was, and the Hermans had, what, four or five children, something like that. And Mr. Herman made a comment one day. He says, you know, I see light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> he says, they're getting bigger and they're moving on. But it had been a lot of work raising a large family. It's a big commitment. And we need to think about these things before we bite that commitment off, before we start the ball rolling. Seek first the kingdom of God. As parents, our job is to teach our children about God. You know, the God is real. That God cares for us, even for little children. And we tried to do this with the boys growing up. And that was why, I think it was Scott, that ran into the house. He was going to pray so God would help him find something that fell in the grass. But God was real to him. I think I've used the other example where we were both sick. He and I had a cold, and we called somebody from the college. They came out and anointed us. Uh, and then we were praying that night. And Scott was praying. He says, God, please make me better tonight and make Daddy better tomorrow morning. And I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> but he was talking to God. God was real to him. And as we tell our children and explain, you know, teach the Bible to our children, God will become real to them if he's real to us. And this is our challenge as parents, is to pass on these values. As adults, God has got to be real to us. You know, we need to take the time as adults, if we've not done it before, is to prove whether or not there is a God and what that God is like. We need to take time to prove, is the Bible the Word of God? Or is it just some book? 
Is it really inspired by God? Is there proof for that? And if we take our time and do it properly, you know, our faith is not going to be shaken when things happen. These are things we need to do. Let's look at another principle. In Proverbs 24, verse 27. Proverbs 24 and verse 27. <clears throat> We're talking about what are you doing with your life? You know, how can you live a more successful life? Verse 27 of Proverbs 24, it says, Prepare yourself in the field or prepare yourself, prepare your outside work or your work outside. Make it fit for yourself in the field and afterwards build your house. The principle here is basically prepare yourself in the field or prepare yourself in a field. Now, get your education first before you get involved with guys or girls. Get first things first. You know, get whatever training you're going to need. I remember talking to the fellow one time. He had been an accountant and got a job with a company and worked up through the company. And something happened. The company came apart. He was let go, and he wanted to get another job as an accountant. But he would never bothered to get a CPA degree to be a certified public accountant. And he found it almost impossible to get a job paying at the same level that he was paid before because he didn't have the proper credentials. You know, I would encourage all of you, especially as young people, get your education first. And you talk about, well, I want to serve people. The more you have invested in your education, the more you'll have to give. As a mother, as a father, as an employee... You know, the more time you take to prepare yourself, the more you will have to give. You know, do some traveling before you get married. Broaden your perspectives because then you'll be able to share all of this with your children. It was interesting. We lived in Boston for a period of time and we'd met a, a, uh, an airline pilot who was in the church at the feast one year. And then he began flying from, I think it was Boston to Paris. And he called me up one day and says, can we stay with you or can I stay with you overnight on Friday night? We'll go to service on the Sabbath and then takes his flight out of Boston Saturday night. So he showed up at the house with his Air Force or his uh, pilot uniform on. I had two boys that were seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Wow, look at this guy with all this stuff and everything. So he sat at the table <laughs> and he, they were able to talk to the airline pilot. But this broadened their perspectives. Now, these are things you can do with your children if your perspectives have been broadened before you, you know, take on the responsibilities of marriage and family. But get your education first. If you're in the trades, you become qualified. Get the most qualifications you can. You know, my youngest son graduated from college, wanted to be in business. And I said, Sean, why don't you work on a, an MBA, Master of Business Administration? Oh, Dad, I just got out of college. But, you know... His employer said, three or four or five years later, Sean, you know, why don't you work on an MBA? He kept his job, the company paid for it, and he did it by correspondence. When I was asking him the other night, I said, uh, was it worth it? He said, well, it was a very broadening experience. <laughs> you know, he labored through some of the courses, which I've had to do too. Some of them are boring. But when you're done, you've got a credential. And sometimes they'll hire you for the credential. 
and hopefully you also then have the skills to go along with it. But do these things first. It's talking about here, prepare yourself outside. Make it fit for yourself in the field, and then build your house. You know, saying, you know, build your barn before you get a horse. But if you buy a whole bunch of horses, you don't have any place to put them. <laughs> you got the cart before the horse. Do these things first. You'll grow up mature before you take on these responsibilities that are not for kids. They are not for kids. In terms of planning for marriage and, and things like that, keep principles in mind. Keep the big picture in mind. Have you met the person's family that you're interested in? Do they like you? Do you like them? Do you fit together? And when Abraham was looking for a, a wife for Isaac, where was the servant sent? Back to his own people, his own culture, his own race, his own group of people. And these are things we need to keep in mind. Today, it's, well, it doesn't matter. You know, it does matter. It does matter. These things are important. We forget them today. Get advice. Mom, Dad, what do you think about this guy? Mom, Dad, what do you think about this girl? Nice girl. Nice guy. Not for you. What will you do with that advice? Well, they don't know. Read the Proverbs. It says a son or a daughter that doesn't listen to parents' advice will face some consequences. Yeah, think about these things. Don't just brush them off. These things are important. Amos 3.3, it says, two cannot walk together unless they are agreed. You know, it does matter if you marry someone that doesn't believe like you do. It'll be a challenge. Now, if you're already married in that situation, then you've got to be a good wife, a good husband. You've got to be understanding. You've got to be patient. But they probably won't want to go to the feast with you. They'll wonder, well, what are you doing with all that money? You know, we could use it for this or we could use it for that. Think about these things. I met this really cute guy, and he lives in Australia. So think about the costs. When the kids come along, how much does it cost to go to Australia? And if Mr. Tyler's listening, I'm not against Australia. <laughs> but we just need to think these things through. You know, it was, it was really wonderful having Scott and Dinah here with two grandkids living about 100 yards away for nine months. We had dinner together, we'd play together, do various things. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience. But, you know, they also lived over here, and I was in the U.K. for four years. Long way away. And we had the cost, or count the cost, every time somebody was going to travel. It just makes it more challenging. It's not wrong to do these things. We just need to think through what the costs are going to be. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Another powerful principle. <clears throat> Proverbs 11 and verse 14. <clears throat> it says, Where there is no counsel, people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now get wise advice about planning a career. Get wise advice about dating and marriage. Get wise advice when you're planning to change your course of action. What will happen if I do this? What will happen if I do that? Think about these things. You know, as an older person, 
What do you do with your time? Well, I'm retired. I've got time in my hands. How does the plan of God relate to that? You know, in Isaiah 30, verse 20 and 21, talks about we're going to be teachers in the coming kingdom of God. We can be preparing now to teach God's way of life. What are the keys to a happy marriage? What have you learned over 30, 40 years of marriage? What makes a successful life? What makes a fulfilling life? In Titus chapter 2, it talks about the ladies, but it also can apply to men, that we should be teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. One person I met years ago said that uh, and the key and his wife had made a list of lessons that they had learned in life and put those in a notebook and gave the notebook a copy to each of their children. Here are lessons I've learned in my life that I want to pass on to my children. Came across another situation where a lady who is now a widow wrote a letter to her children and said, this is what it's like to be a widow. Just thought you would like to know. And these are powerful things. Speeches and clubs could be given along these lines. If you've lived 60, 70, 80 years, why not give a speech about the most important lesson I've learned in my life? Should be like E.F. Hutton when he speaks. Everybody should stop. Wow, that was a powerful lesson. And if you can learn those lessons as young people, you don't have to live 70 or 80 years to learn that lesson. You could learn that lesson at age 15, 16, 17. Older people can be a resource. One of the landladies that we had in Pasadena when we lived there, I used to go pay the rent and I'd, I'd get home. My wife said, where were you? You were paying the rent again, weren't you? I said, yeah. This lady was 75 years old, I think, but she'd lived an extremely interesting life. And she was just fascinating to, to talk to. She said, you know, because she lived not too far from Carnegie Tech. She said, you know, I used to keep college students here. And I would, they would pay me for their room and for their board, and I would cook their dinner. And she said, I had one requirement when they came to dinner. They had to bring one topic to dinner that they could discuss. That was the price of their dinner. Because she wanted them to discuss. She wanted them to be up on world events, things like that. So here's what she was doing to advance their education at one of the best <laughs> universities in the nation. She was doing something in addition to that. She was making the time at her dinner table count. You could do this with your kids. Or as an older person around uh, the table here when you're talking to people after church, uh, ask the young people, what are you doing with your life? What are your plans? What are your purposes? What lessons have you learned? Have you seen any good examples in the church? You can do a lot to stimulate thoughts in young people. Final question, how do these questions fit together and tie together? The answer is very simple. If we understand the plan of God, that he's working out at a plan and purpose on this earth, we've been created in his image to become part of his family, to reign on this earth. If we understand that plan, that plan can guide how we develop plans for our life. But when we're thinking, talking on the cell phone, you know, I've been on this phone for an hour. What have I learned? <laughs> what have I accomplished? It's good to communicate with people. But maybe there's a more productive use of 
six or seven hours in a day or three or four hours every evening. Think about these things. Let's get our plans and purpose in harmony with God's plan and purpose. You're a young person thinking about what am I going to major in in college or what am I going to study in high school? Think about what would help me be a leader in the coming kingdom of God. What would I need to understand? When Scott was in high school, I suggested, why don't you take a geography course? You study about the world. He tried to sign up for one. And one of the advisors, you don't want to get in that course. That's for dummies. That's why nobody knows where China is today. (laughs) That's why nobody knows where New Zealand is. I think somebody was trying, I think maybe somebody even here in the congregation, somebody was trying to sell them a cell phone. (laughs) He said, well, I'm moving to such and such a place. And the guy said, where is that? It was a country. Texas, Mexico, somewhere. (laughs) But here was a salesman, didn't even know where some major country was. I think the question was, if I buy this phone, can I use it in such and such? He said, where's that? He didn't know. know, is Is your plans for your life moving you in a direction that will be in harmony with God's plan? Let's plan to use our time, brethren. Use the time on the Sabbath from time to time. Sabbath to Sabbath. Just go for a walk. Sit down under a tree and ask yourself, why am I here? Where am I going? How can I get there? What do I have to do to get there? Talk with your parents if you're young people. And if you're an older person, talk with your kids. Ask them, how am I doing? Am I a good example? How do I come across? My old fuddy-duddy? <laughs> you know, again, I'm joking. But think about it. Our examples are important. Because I've watched people get older. Some people fight it the whole way, and they become very nasty people. Other people, as they get older, they mellow. And you just want to be around them. And you want to soak up the advice that they have to give you. Your life isn't over at 50 or 60 or 70 or 75 or even older than that. Let's get our plans in harmony with God's plan. And then we can pray, God, guide me. You know, bless me. Use me. And if he sees that our plans are in harmony with his, it's incredible the doors that will open up, that we will not be able to handle the blessings that come. Brethren, God has a plan. This is the God that we worship. He is concerned about how we use our time and our opportunities. Don't waste the opportunity that you have been given because you've been called to understand the plan of God.